We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences. So the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. This podcast episode is brought to you by Coors Light. These days, everything is go, go, go. It's nonstop hustle all the time. Work, friends, family expect you to be on 24-7. Well, sometimes you just need to reach for a Coors Light because it's made to chill. Coors Light is cold lagered, cold filtered, and cold packaged. It's as crisp and refreshing as the Colorado Rockies. It is literally made to chill. Coors Light is the one I choose when I need to unwind. So when you want to hit reset, reach for the beer that's made to chill. Get Coors Light in the new look delivered straight to your door with Drizzly or Instacart. Celebrate responsibly. Coors Brewing Company, Golden, Colorado. You can't control what's outside your home, but you can control what comes in. Because Clorox disinfecting wipes kill 99.9% of viruses and bacteria, including COVID-19 virus, when used as directed on hard, non-porous surfaces. So whether it's from dirty doorknobs, dirty shoes, or something else, outside germs won't stand a chance. When it counts, trust Clorox. Kill Pseudomonas, Salmonella, and Influenza virus type A2. Kill SARS-CoV-2 on hard, non-porous surfaces. Use as directed. So the LA Rams will be the number two seed. They finish 13 and 3, a 13 win season for the third time in franchise history. I've been dreaming this my whole life. This don't have you. It's time to put in the work. Every man go dominate. Offense, defense, special team. Let's go. What are we talking about? Greg Zerline sends the Rams to the Super Bowl. Welcome to Rams Talk Radio. This is Derek C. Apollo with former Los Angeles Rams defensive back and Bakersfield head coach. I just have to throw that in there. Michael Stewart for another edition of the show. Mike, how you doing, man? Hey, man, we're doing good. DC, glad to be back for another uh, podcast week and looking forward to uh, talking about these L.A. Rams. You know, Mike, something I've been really noticing in the last couple of days as some of these season previews are coming out, I don't know if you've noticed it, but I have. What I've been seeing is a lot of predictions for the Rams to go 8-8 and eight or 9-7, and seven, and I'm just sitting there thinking, why? What happened to this team to all of a sudden they would fall off from being a 13-3 and three Super Bowl team to a 9-7, and 8-8 eight and eight squad? You got any kind of sense of feeling as to why that would be? No, except for, you know, they figure maybe everyone has a little more tape on uh, McVay as a coach and, you know, our offense and Jared as a QB, things like that. And, you know, a little bit better schedule in regards to the teams and opponents we'll be playing this year should be a little bit better, more formidable and maybe a little more hungrier, but nine and seven and eight and eight, man, that that seems like we we just came off of a, a losing season. 
I know. I guess if you look at all the changes, like the defensive line with Nick and Sue gone, and with Lamarcus Joyner moving off to the Raiders, and then we replace him with Eric Weddle, I guess some folks would probably view him as a downgrade athletically. The linebackers are basically the same. We lost Barron, but we got Clay Matthews in there. Offensive line, the center, John Sullivan's gone, replaced by Brian Allen. You have your left guard, one of the best in the league, Roger Saffold. He's gone, replaced by Joe Nopum. We think it's going to be Joe Nopum. And then you had, you have the worries around Todd Gurley. But yet the Rams addressed that as well in the draft with arguably the best or one of the two or three best running backs in the draft. I'm not so sure that these changes really justify that big a drop, especially when the core of this team is still loaded. I'm a little baffled. Yeah, well, I think you're hitting it on the head in regards to as you go down and look overall at the changes and and gelling. You know, everything comes down to how, how quick and people can acclimate themselves for the new guys coming in. But when you're talking about guys like that who are seasoned veterans, that shouldn't be that big of a problem. So that being the case, I'm going to stay with the side that we should be as good or better in a lot of situations, uh, at least defensively. Uh, I think with having Aaron in all camps starting from the beginning, all offseason, no contract, things like that, all those things, at least for the D-line and the front and with his work ethic and leadership, uh, I think we should be even better uh, on the D front. So thing is, when you got Indominus Sue, you may have him on, you know, a rep count and so on and so forth. But now you just got guys in there who want to play. So I'm looking forward to things not being too much different. Uh, 12 and 2 would be my, pred- I mean, 12 and 4. Yeah. yeah. Well, and I didn't even mention Taylor Rapp, who many people had as a top safety in the draft. I, I got to think he'll be getting some playing time this year. He'll probably be moving around as, kind of, as potentially a hybrid. I think that in a lot of ways, the Rams defense probably got a little bit more, what's the word I'm looking for? A little bit more athletic. Athletic. Uh, yeah. I mean, LaMarcus Joyner was athletic and, and Eric Wells not, but you had Mr. Rapp in there. You have Greg Gage. Well, you you think take out of, two people in the defensive line too. No doubt. But you think of, uh, you know, when I came to the league, you had a guy named Nolan Cromwell in his 10th season. I believe Johnny Johnson was in his 10th or 11th, 12th season. Uh, but it was an interesting playing with Nolan, who you would say, you know, foot speed wise, I would have been a little faster than or maybe a lot faster. But, you know, a guy like him, he was at spots before you you would think that he would could get there. Because he just was a seasoned veteran. He knew the route tree. He knew, you know, the teams he was playing. So he could get to where he needed to go, which basically compensates for a guy who may have speed and is just reacting to everything. So that's where I think where Eric will, will make a big difference. Well, and plus he's seen everything. He has seen right. everything. So one of the best in the league. I know when we talked to the guy from the Ravens, he felt like Eric had probably taken a little bit of a step back. But with the way the Rams defense is built, it's not necessarily dependent on how fast Eric Weddle is. It's really based on what can he read back there and how much can he serve as an anchor. And that's kind of what you need. You You already have Johnson back there and you already have your corners set. I think they're going to be good to go as long as he kind of just holds the fork down. I'm not as... I'm not as worried about this defense as, say, I was last year because, I have I mean, personally, I've accepted the fact that they're probably not going to be a top 10 defense. I thought that last year, I thought they were basically built to be elite, and they did it without being elite last year overall for the entire year. I'm not worried about it. They're going to do well. I, Sean McVay, to me, the leadership factor he brings to this team offensively and defensively, just as a head coach, I just can't see a team with that kind of leadership at the top and that kind of accountability falling off like that. I just can't. Yeah, I, I totally agree, Derek. I mean, when you're talking 8-8 eight and eight or 9-7, and seven, you're talking about a big drop-off on our part or teams that have gotten that much better, which if that's the case, that means they're going to have to come in or when we go to their house, they're going to have to really play at a super high level to make sure something like that were to happen. 
Well, yeah, it just doesn't seem to me like it's really, it doesn't seem to me it's like really deep thinking in terms of analysts to go, well, hey, all these changes happen automatically 9, 7, 8, and 8. I think you need to be a little more nuanced than that if you understand the culture of a team, if you understand the staff, if you understand the way they've been drafting. And then maybe, hey, Mike, maybe I'm being biased here and I'm not analyzing it right. But you know what? I've been around this team enough to know that I just there's just no way they fall off that much. Unless you have injuries, that's a different story. But just in terms of fall off of talent, I don't see it. Yeah, I don't either. I mean, you're talking about these aren't the the struggling six and ten, the three thirteen type Rams. You're talking about uh, a team that just came off the Super Bowl. Now they always talk about the Super Bowl hangover effect and things like that, but that would have to be you know a lot of wholesale changes, a number of injuries. I mean, a lot would have to happen for that to to happen. I mean, what you're talking about is. Sean McVay can't coach anymore. Uh, you know, Wade Phillips can't coach anymore. None of the guys offensively or defensively can play anymore for that to just happen. I mean, it, it would be a travesty if something like that happened. You basically have to have a mental collapse of the team. Like like the the old Rams in 2001, unfortunately, were not up to par mentally the following season after that Super Bowl loss. I just think, I think the culture is different. I think the that the entire methodology of teaching and learning and growing in that organization that's been implemented since McVay came in there won't allow for that kind of drop-off. Those guys aren't thinking about last year. They're thinking about now. They've been thinking about now, the future here, since they lost that game. They've never been. They've never sat back and talked a lot about that Super Bowl loss. It was a loss. They got beat. They moved on. So I just don't see it. I, I, I'm, USA Today, you might be right. Other organizations, you might be right, but I doubt it. Absolutely. Absolutely. So, yeah, I, I just don't don't see it being the case. And so, again, I'm excited about the new guys who have come in, the free agents and, and just everything that, that looks like it's uh, re- interchangeable parts, if you will. And so it'll be fun to see, you know, once camps gets going, how things actually are looking for us. So, folks, in case you're listening in and you might just hear a little bit of sound in the background, Mike and I are doing an early recording because I am teaching, um, I'm doing testing at my school this week, and I can't be up all night editing. So my daughter, during my baby's nap time, my other daughter is watching Frozen. So if you happen to hear Frozen leak into the audio, just deal with it. It is the nature of fatherhood. I'm sure you've all been there. Mike's kind of shaking his head a little bit. Yes, yep, he's been there. So, yes, you may hear a little bit of Frozen in the background during this afternoon taping. Okay, so folks... Just a reminder, we're sponsored by Jim Hawk and his book, Hollywood's Team. We also remind you that we're available anywhere podcasts can be found, including Spotify, SoundCloud, Spreaker, Apple Music. Also, one more also there. We still have that contest going for the 200 five-star reviews, so this is how it works. You go to Apple Music, you leave a review, you send us a screenshot of your written review so that we know who it is, who, who is actually entered, and that will enter you in the contest for a $75 gift ticket to NFLshop.com. And we'll also read your feedback live on the show. Just some other notes here. The Rams Uncensored, Rams Uncensored Pool Party is next weekend. They are also selling some pretty neat shirts as well. They're affordable. Check it out. Look up Ram Tommy in LA. Ram Tommy in LA on Twitter to get more information about that. There are a I think 40 people going to this party from Twitter alone, including a dude fo- coming in from Boston for the shindig. That is some serious Twitter Rams repping. Also, don't forget our fundraiser for Dom Somera. We're trying to get him some help. It looks like he has an appointment now set up at the University of Washington. So now he's trying to make sure he can get there and get some answers. So check it out. That is our fundraiser for Dom Somera. So we're previewing this week. The tight ends, and I to me it's a critical position, especially where we don't really know what's going on with Cooper Cup. Will he be the same guy when he comes back? The Rams clearly need some more. Well, they need to have the ability to extend the field more. So I'm looking more at Gerald Everett, but we also have Tyler Higby there, Johnny Munt, uh, three new guys as well who are intriguing. I have to admit, Keenan Brown, Kendall Bland, and Romello Brooker. And Brooker has been on our show, very nice guy and very focused. So those are the six tight ends in, in camp right now. And it's time to play that game and kind of preview them all. Who will make this team? Who may be a, a practice squad candidate? 
Let's get to know him first. Tyler Higby. You guys will remember him. Tyler Higby is a huge tight end. Not the fastest, but great blocker. Does get a will make the occasional critical catch. I've, I've seen many people defending him in the past for, um, because he does have the ability to block the line, but a little, uh, I guess I'd safe to say he's probably underwhelmed a little bit in the receiving department. I guess there were higher expectations for him. Gerald Everett. The second-round pick from a couple years ago, we've seen flashes of greatness in him with his speed. He's made some beautiful catches, deep catches, but he has not quite developed the way we thought he would. Johnny Munt is a fan favorite. Matter of fact, our buddy Sky Sirland, who used to write for us, just wrote an article over at Turf Show Times about him. You can see that article, and he makes the argument that Johnny may be ready to go ahead and make an impact on the squad. He is a guy who... Is kind of a jack of all trades when it comes to tight ends. And then you have the three young guys, Romello Brooker from Houston. He was a critical guy in the, in the red zone for them. Kendall Bland and Keenan Brown, both guys have similar abilities in terms of their speed that they bring to the game. They are basically prospects who can be, well, shall I say, shined up a bit, developed a bit, guys who could potentially make an impact down the road. And that's where we are. Mike, what are your thoughts on this tight end crop? that uh, it's available here to us now. Well, I think the good thing is there's a number of them. So uh, you got six guys vying for probably three spots. Uh, so, or four spots, if you will, you know, we've had three and, and I would say maybe one that ends up on practice squad. Uh, but uh, you, you've done a good narration of, of what we have and where we've been. So, it's going to be interesting because once you're now talking about year two, year three, year four for guys who have been on the team, they're now looking for a big jump in play, big jump in leadership, you know, all those things. Or they will go with, you know, some of these younger guys that may just be coming in uh, to the fold as free agents, if you will to give them an opportunity. You know, a lot of these things come down to, you know, we talked a little bit in the past about, you know, where things line up as far as special teams and things like that. But you always give the nod to those who have been in the system, been on the team that guys is kind of coming in, shouldn't be able to, to beat them out per se, unless they are taking things for granted. I do want to vocalize this little frustration. I think, Overall, we've been very happy with Sean McVay's leadership of this franchise in terms of what he's done on the field, the culture he's built there. Yet, he came to this team as a tight ends guy. We saw Sean McVay develop some serious tight end play in Washington, and the expectation coming over here was we would see a lot of that same thing in the Rams offense. And that really hasn't happened yet, despite the fact that they went out and got a guy like Gerald Everett, who's highly athletic, very fast, can make plays. We've seen him do it. And so I'm wondering at this point, will that happen? Because it should have by now, based on his track on McVay's track record. So can that happen this year? And honestly, Mike, with so many folks expressing doubts about the Rams, especially considering what defenses did to them last year. If they can get this tight end position going, that's going to solve a lot of problems right there. Yeah, there's no doubt. But, you know, what you're talking about is somewhat a little bit of a change in offensive philosophy where in Washington, they didn't have technically the back that we have in, in Todd Gurley. So that being the case, if you're going to now go to a more centralized tight end offense, if you will, leading with, with those guys, then you're talking about typical carries and or catches that will go to the running back position, being Todd Gurley, are now going to be somewhat minimized. So, again, that's where it's a trick, you know, and, and – and what they want to do and how they want to complete and change up some things going down uh, throughout each game and through, throughout the season in regards to what's going to be the focus. So that to me is where the problem lies. If they're still going to make Gurley the focal point of the offense per se, then the tight end position is probably still not going to get the reps that they need to be more of a focal point. See, I'm, I'm in a little bit of a different thinking here. I'm thinking as a third or fourth receiving option, 
as compared to Cooper Cup, especially early while they're making sure Cooper's exactly where he needs to be, if they could develop that receiving option in a better way, then that's going to change how defenses view this entire offense now. You're going to have your running back threats. They went and got somebody to kind of compliment Todd Gurley. Now you have tight ends who are more of a threat on third down and second down. I am looking at that possibility overall as a counter to the folks who think, hey, they figured out the Rams' offense. They have, we know how to stop them now. Well, honestly, the Rams really haven't employed the tight ends very much over the course of the last two years. And if they change that and they can employ it more, especially to, as we all know, the what the Rams do is they love to de- deceive deception game, then in the end, the offense to me would make a huge difference. Yeah, yeah. But, you know, again, you're talking about personnel. You know, are we going more with, you know, three wides, one tight end, one back? Or are we going more with two tight ends, two wides, you know, one back? So it still comes down to personnel. Now, what you're saying is, yes, if we're going to say we're going to change it up, then then Todd Gurley or the running back position then becomes more of the decoy on third down. Tight end becomes more of the focal point. So it just depends on, you know, which way they want to go with it. And again, this is where it'd be nice to be sitting in the room to see what they're thinking in regards to keeping everyone happy. You know, Todd's been a guy who seems to not be too concerned with stats and things like that, but as you get later in your career and, and more people may be talking to you or you see more articles, you know, this year, as opposed to last year, he may say, hey, you know, I would like to get that rushing title or whatever record may be available for him at that time, you know, as opposed to, you know, what he did a number of times last year. He wasn't seem like too bothered that certain things didn't happen when he had a chance to really be you know, a step above the rest of the backs throughout the league. So uh, it'll be interesting to see, you know, what approach that they take. Do you believe there will be more diversity in the offense this year, especially considering how teams have begun to, to hit certain weaknesses they perceive in the Rams' offense? Absolutely. I mean, if if I'm coaching the team, I'm going to absolutely throw them a little bit of a curveball this year because the thing is that, again, and I'm going to take this from the Belichick book, the more things uh, seem that they're different, the more they are the same. And so what you want to do is you want to, you give an appearance that you're changing a bunch of things up, but really not, not really, you're just kind of tweaking things. So this would obviously be an advantageous tweak to the offense that the tight ends are absolutely more involved. I mean, we've seen some games early on when the tight end was was highly uh, used and and it was very effective. So I would like to see and hope to see, you know, that being the case because at the end of the day, what you're trying to do is put wins in the win column. So let's look at these tight ends here. You've seen Tyler Higby for a while now. What do you really like about him as a tight end in this league and where do you see him as a fit long-term this Rams offense? Well, I mean, when you look at Higby, I mean, he's he's a guy, again, four-year going to his fifth year, uh, six, six guys. So, I mean, you're talking about a guy that's pretty big out there. So, you would definitely like to get some mismatches with him, you know, whether it be a safety or maybe a dime or a nickel or even linebackers trying to cover him. You know, that should be just a win every time. So, you know, the guy has really good hands. Uh, he's shown that he can uh, catch the ball when, when it's thrown to him. So I would look to see that he's able to exploit the defense a lot more if given the opportunity. And there is some conversations going out there now that he could be a player they are looking to extend here very soon. So I think the Rams are happy with him, actually. They like what he brings overall especially in the run-blocking game. So it's just now, can you get more out of him in the passing game long-term to see if he's going to be with, with the Rams? But he's going to make the team, obviously. He's, he's your he's your one proven tight end overall in terms of pass, pass receiving and run-blocking. Agree? Oh, absolutely, absolutely. And again, he has a guy, He's he's been uh, a stable component of the offense. And so... I just think a guy like him just needs to be given more opportunity. And with more opportunity, we, we could see a lot out of a guy like that. Now, the second guy is 
our boy Gerald Everett, and he's the one I've been just waiting to break out, just waiting to see if he will finally reach the potential that many of us saw in him when he was drafted. What are your thoughts on him and his future with this club? Yeah, Jay Everett, again, you know, if it's me, I'm going to go with kind of a two tight end offense at times and exploit the talents of both of the Higby and, and Everett. You know, Everett has a little bit more speed. He's shown absolutely some ability to to be a great player in this league. And, you know, I'm going to sound redundant, but again, you, it's hard to really do anything if, if the ball's not getting thrown to you, you know, a few times a game. So, again, it just depends on how, you know, Coach McVay and, and office offensive staff you know, want to game plan from week to week on how effective the usage of these guys can be. But yeah, Gerald Everett, I think, has proven that given the opportunity, he can make some big plays. Now let's take this to the rest of the guys. I think it's pretty clear those two are going to make the team. Johnny Munt is somebody that's, again, viewed to be a dependable option. Might not be your star, but he will be the kind of guy who can be on special teams, so he can crack a good block for you, a solid target. What are your thoughts on on what he means to do at 6'6", 262? Yeah, I mean, Munt is a guy, you know, he played in Oregon. So he's played in an offense that's thrown the ball a lot. So you would have to say, well, that guy can actually go catch the rock. So again, you know, is it, are we not utilizing these guys' talent to their fullest? Or do we have a different offense that's set in mind that doesn't really allow these guys to really shine as much as they could. So again, depending on what way, you know, obviously Munt, you know, play some special teams and things like that. And you need guys across the board to be able to, to be multifunctional and at the NFL level. So, you know, a guy like him can be a sleeper on a team or let's just say, unfortunately, you know, he gets released or traded or something like that. You can see a guy who's, again, played in, in a pretty high-powered, uh, pass-happy offense in college, go somewhere else where they're actually going to throw the ball to the tight end a little bit more, and, and just you go, well, where was this guy? Oh, he was yeah. on our team? So, again, it just it's just depending on, you know, how much they really want to get the uh, the tight ends involved. But Munt, again, guy who's been on the team, you would think that he would have a, a leg up in regards to the tight ends they'll keep. And just let me correction here. He's 6'4", 233. I mixed up the measurables with the next guy on the list, and that's Kendall Blanton. Blanton is 6'6", 262, athletic struggles to block a little bit, and that is the concern overall for these undrafted free agents. And that is, can they be, well, can, can they be multifaceted? Can they do both? And that's what the Rams are looking for. And if they can, they have the athletic ability to get in there and, and make the roster over a guy like Johnny Munt. So the first guy, again, is is Blanton. Uh, he was a undrafted free agent, came over from Missouri. That's interesting. Missouri. Missouri. He was projected originally as a fifth or sixth round pick, according to Sky. And there is some thought overall that he could sneak on and make this team. What have you been able to find out about Mr. Bland? Yeah, you know, again, he he played for for a guy who threw a little bit up there, Missouri, and so. But as you noted, you you have to be more than one dimensional when you get to the NFL level, and obviously. Our tight ends have to have the ability to be able to block uh, just because of the fact that uh, we have a running game or running back somewhat oriented offense with Todd Gurley. We like to go a lot of play action and things like that. So you can see guys like that, you know, staying in the block initially and then releasing late. So the trick for someone like him coming in is can he now make the change and do what's asked of him? you know, at this NFL level, but not really having a whole lot of time to make the adjustment. Now you have Romello Brooker from Houston. He is not as fast, runs about a 4-8-ish, 40, but he's more of a blocker. He's also a red zone target. The Houston Cougars last year made great use of him in the red zone. I I interviewed him not too long ago. He's a hungry guy, wants to make the team win. I like his attitude. To me, he's kind of a dark horse. He's not the total athlete, the speed guy, but he's the guy who will get in there and get gritty, a lot like Johnny Munt will. 
and he's a little bit more well-rounded in that respect. So kind of wanting to see what they do with him. He may be a practice squad candidate if that's what the Rams are looking for overall. Thoughts? Yeah, you know, and, you know, unfortunately, you, you have this term that's out there that's called a camp body. And so you need, you know, certain number of guys in camp to help you get through camp so that, you know, the guys that you're hoping that'll make the squad, you know, aren't getting too banged up and things like that. But as noted, this guy, you know, having the hunger, you know, having some ability to do it. And these are the kind of things that you always like about the new season. There's always going to be a guy who shows up uh, from this free agent list of players who becomes a player for somebody so guys like him you know they're going to be looking to do a lot of different things while they're in camp the main thing is to provide a certain effort in camp you know the team that they're on but unfortunately if things don't work out you want to do enough that the team that releases you can recommend you to another team that may be in more need of a guy. You know, again, when you have this many tight ends in camp, reality is, you know, we saw that they kept three last year. So let's just say they go with the same math and then maybe open a spot for a practice squad guy. Then this is where, you know, you still can make a team and, and get on a team and, and start you know, laying out the foundation for hopefully a solid NFL career. And just to kind of correct myself again a little bit here, by me saying he's not as athletic as the other two undrafted free agents, that's not saying he's not athletic. He still made plays. He's just that he does not have the speed the other two guys have. He's still tall, still athletic. I just don't know if he brings enough to what the Rams are looking for. The Rams like tall athletic. They like those things. But you have two of the rookies to compete with, and that leads personally to my my personal favorite here, and that is Keenan Brown. Keenan Brown was expected to be drafted late in the draft. Didn't happen. He is athletic. He he ran a a shuttle four five one sixty yard shuffle twelve point two five four seven five forty yard dash. Here's the big thing: he was a receiver already before moving over to tight end. He had a list Frank injury that slowed him down a while back that's I guess a concern that was back in 2015 but he still runs like a receiver he still is too fast for most linebackers it's the blocking that will hurt him he takes bad angles this is according to Lance Zerline the guy who did his draft profile for info.com he gets jammed up by press coverage he has issues dipping low so there seems to be a higher upside for him but also a lower downside as to if the Rams can get a hold of him and mold him a bit he could be a danger coming out the practice squad in the future yeah no doubt so you know one of the theories and, and thought process that goes into obviously any draft is the the present the you know here and now Bill, and then the future so if you can get a guy like this uh most NFL coaches feel like hey give me a guy who has a great attitude and a great work ethic and we can mold him into a solid NFL player. So he may fit that mold where they're saying, hey, we got a guy who's a little raw, but a guy who's already been receiver, you would hope that he is pretty a pretty good route runner. Uh, but if you're unable to get off certain things, press covers and jams, things like that, maybe that's a trick and that a tight ends coach, offensive staff can teach you on how to do it and what better place would you be if you're a tight end to come play in a Sean McVay type of offense where absolutely he was known to uh, get the tight ends going at that position. So if I'm a guy like that, I'm excited about, if nothing else, being in camp where I can learn some things to help better my game. If it's not here, then somewhere. So let's theoretically look at it, Mike, and say the Rams are going to keep three tight ends and one training squad guy, practice squad guy. This I don't know if that's going to be the case. Let's just theoretically say that. Who are your three guys that make the team and the one you think that might make the practice squad? Well, my three would be the three that were here last year, you know, Everett, Higby, Munt, and then uh, my, my guy would probably be Kay Blanton just because of overall size. Well, for me, same thing. Those three guys make it. I am going to, oh, man, I, I was really sold on Brown, but something... 
I mean, I'm changing my mind literally as we're as we're having this conversation. But there's something about Romello Brooker that I think back about the conversation, just how hungry he was to be on that field to prove himself, to overcome some of the challenges he's had early on in, in his career. I'm gonna I'm gonna change my mind here live on the show and say Romello Brooker goes to the practice squad. So there are my thoughts on it. So that takes us to our sponsor, Jim Hawk. He wrote this wonderful book called. Hollywood team, great glamour in the 1950s Los Angeles Rams. The book tells the story of the 1950s Rams to the lens of Jim's dad, John, who was an offensive lineman for the team from 1953 to 1957. Check out some story of his father and team. He played for an era of glitz, glamour, and future Hall of Famers. Read about players like Norman Van Brocklin, Elroy, Crazy Hurst, Tom Fears, and Les Richter in this story spent the 1950s Los Angeles Rams. You can find Hawk's book online at hollywoodsteam.com and on Twitter at hollywoodsteam. It's available both in hardback and trying from Amazon, Barnes & Noble. It comes out on paperback on September 6th. Folks, check it out. It's a great read. It all benefits Homeboy Industries, which seeks to pull people out of the gang life and make them productive members of society once again. So it's got a great cause. It's got a great price. And it's a great Rams historical read. Check it out. It is Hollywood Teen Grit Glamour in the 1950s Los Angeles Rams by Jim Hawk. It's well worth your time. Okay, so believe it or not, we are still finishing up the tour on the league. And one of our favorites, because he's built himself a heck of a channel over there, he's made the comeback um, with, with Bleeding Green Radio, and that is Brandon Lee Gowton. He gives us a preview of the Philadelphia Eagles. Specifically, what we want to get to is his conversation about Jared Goff and an extension. It's a very interesting conversation as well. Some of the Interview is a little bit outdated now because this is before Carson Wentz signed his extension. But listen to what he says specifically about the extension and the timing of it. It's a really important listen. Check it out. Here's Brandley Gatton with his preview of the Philadelphia Eagles and, of course, talking about Jared Goff. Here we go. All right, folks, I'm here at Brandley Gowton, the BLG from Bleeding Green Radio, the Philadelphia's Prime Eagles podcast. Brandon, how you doing, man? Doing good, Derek. Thanks for having me. Always a pleasure to be here. Well, I'm glad to have you on and talking some Eagles football today. And I, I, I got I to come at you, though, a little bit because I got a bone to pick with you. All right. <laughs> Let's hear it. All right. I actually had faith in the Eagles, man. Okay? I... Had them win the NFC East. I thought they'd make a deep run in the playoffs. And it really hurt me with our, with our whole podcast competition we had here at Ramstock Radio last year with the other crew. I basically finished last. I needed the Eagles to win the division. <laughs> Your boys messed me up. So, gosh. So, tell me this. What the heck happened? Because, I mean, the Eagles had the talent to start the season to repeat. What happened? It's kind of a weird year, Derek. Uh, you look back at it, and when I was, even when I was in it, and going from you know the high of winning the Super Bowl uh, on February fourth, two thousand eighteen, to that whole off season where it didn't even feel like a different season. It almost felt like a continuation of that two thousand eighteen or two thousand seventeen season into two thousand eighteen, and there was a lot of talk about that earlier in the year about you know the Super Bowl hangover and to what extent that's real. Now, I think that kind of gets overhyped a little bit. I don't think they're losing games just because of, quote-unquote, the Super Bowl hangover. They had injuries. They're actually one of the most injured teams in the league last year by uh, football outsiders, adjusted games, lost metric. So injuries were an issue. Obviously, you know, you're starting off the season with Nick Foles instead of Carson Wentz. And for as well as Nick Foles has played in relief of Carson Wentz in the past, he really didn't start off the season too, so well. Um, so there was kind of a bumpy start there. Carson Wentz looked a little shaky. Uh, he, he didn't look bad. I would, like, he, and he, You can see that in his metrics, too. It's not like he, he was horrible or bad. It's just he was kind of average instead of where he was at in 2017 when he was a legitimate MVP candidate. So you just saw some regression from Wentz. Um, offense as a whole kind of just really failed to um, just – like get in a rhythm and be dependable. Uh, it looked like whenever they put offense together, it took like a lot of effort. It was never, it never came easy to the, to the offense um, for long stretches, especially earlier on in the year. So uh, there were a lot of issues and then the defense was solid, but there were some spots where late in games uh, they would give up a lead at a crucial time. So they just kind of 
Uh, it was a mix of an offense that wasn't very effective and a defense that was kind of coming up small in some big spots. Um, so it was kind of a rough go. Uh, you know, it wasn't horrible. They still obviously were uh, around. They hung around enough to be able to make the run they did, that they did late in the season uh, and have a shot. Obviously, the Cowboys just edged them out for winning the NFC East. So they weren't too far off, but they, they did ultimately fall uh, to the wild card. And they needed help. They needed help to get in in Week 17. And for the Eagles' sake, luckily and thankfully, the, uh, the Vikings choked, as Kirk Cousins is wont to do. And they snuck into the playoffs. And they weren't that far away from making it back to the NFC Championship game to, to play the Rams, funny enough. So... Uh, it's it was just kind of a weird year, and uh, for where I am now and where the Eagles are right now, it's kind of nice to be looking at like okay, we can turn the page on from the last two years, and it's a new year going into 2019. You know, the, the thing I look back there, we mentioned Kirk Cousins. Is do you think the Vikings at this point regret making that guaranteed money signing? I mean, oh, Lord, I, I, I yes, <laughs> I think yes because like. It's kind of it's kind of tough, you know. I like it was weird because they were in a tough spot, right? Because you had Case Keenum, and you knew Case Keenum wasn't going to be as good, probably, as he was in 2017. You know, you just look at the rest of his career, and obviously, you would know. You know, you saw him play for the Rams. Yep. Like, you're not going to make him your franchise quarterback. You just you kind of can't do that. So, they were in a tough spot, um, but at the same time, you know, it just it really didn't work out for them. And I, I think Cousins is a guy who. You know, he's going to have good games. You're not going to be a bottom five team with him as your quarterback, but I also think you're not going to be a top five team. So they're kind of just stuck in, like, a purgatory. And that purgatory has been there for a long time when it comes to being like, (laughs) jeez. Hey, but talking about your quarterback, though, you mentioned that he looked a little bit average starting the season. He got hurt again. And my question really is, are the Eagles confident? that Wentz can stay healthy for an entire season at this point? And if not, what is their contingency plan? They are. I, I know they are. I mean, they've said as much uh, team owner Jeffrey Lurie, de facto GM Howie Roseman, Doug Peterson, um, all of them have said they want to sign Carson Wentz. And it's my expectation that an extension will happen this offseason. Adam Schefter said on Philadelphia Radio Today and 97.5 The Fanatic that he believes a Wentz contract will get done this offseason. And I think the Eagles, you know, have every reason to do that. Now, I, I get that there's the drawback of he's going to get or, or injuries have been a concern. And that's fair. Like, I'm not going to just brush those aside. But I think like they believe in this guy injuries aside and I think when you look back at last year and last year's injuries it was kind of a rollover at least I kind of felt that way from the injuries in 2017 it wasn't like he ever got to a point where he had this clean 100% full bill of health uh, and he was fine it's kind of like he came into the season already kind of you know kind of pushing it because he, he you know he tore the ACL back in December 2017 against the Rams as you know and then he only came back in week three you know September so it, you know it wasn't like a full it wasn't even close to being a full year recovery from that ACL and then you know there's some speculation we don't know for sure it hasn't been confirmed but there's been some thought that maybe the way he came back from the ACL soon kind of contributed to what happened with his back and the injuries that were going on there. So uh, I think the thought process, you know, moving forward is, okay, now he finally has this full off season to like really get healthy and be almost two years removed from that ACL and more removed from that back injury. And the way the Eagles have built this roster now, I think they've given Carson Wentz everything he needs to succeed. They got Deshaun Jackson, a deep threat. They got, running backs now who can actually play as opposed to last year where you're just like the, the the guy who led the Eagles in rushing last year was Josh Adams an undrafted free rookie free agent at another team uh, who began the season on the practice squad so uh, they, they had nothing at running back last year and now they have Jordan Howard and Miles Sanders who they drafted in the second round so they've made it a big priority to upgrade the offense as a whole uh, not just the skill players, but also the offensive line. So everything is there for Carson Wentz to succeed. Now the pressure is on him to actually deliver. And, you know, if you look back at what he did in 2017, there's reason to believe he can do that. But it's just a matter of actually going out there and proving it. But what is the contingency plan in case something does happen? Where are they leaning back? 
I don't think they are. Like, I think they're going to sign him to an extension. So if he gets hurt again, like, I think if he gets hurt again, he's still their guy. Like, you know, I don't think there's, it's like, oh, uh, he's hurt now, so we have to move on. I don't, I don't think that's, I think they're just all in on him. Uh, the, the, the best I can give you is that they have Nate Sudfeld under contract still for this year. And they've, they, um, they got him when Washington cut him in 2017, and they've spent now, this will be their I guess, second offseason, third year, depending on how you look at it, developing him. So they have him as a developmental guy in their system. They also drafted Clayton Thorson in the fifth round, mm-hmm. um, who didn't really have in- inspiring college numbers. So it's not like he's this surefire option. But, you know, they're so it's really they're all in on Wentz, and they kind of have these, like, backup plans that are very, seem like kind of, like not realistic at all to supplant him. They're kind of just like total uh, wild cards to have in the background. Really, realistically, more uh, just number two quarterbacks. But I think it's really Carson Wentz or bust. Are you hearing anything in terms of possible numbers for his contract? That question actually is from a little bit from the heart here because Jared Goff's up for his extension soon. So we're kind of watching the numbers game going over there and thinking, okay, what can we <laughs> expect when his contract time over here? Yeah, I mean, I, I don't know, but I think you look at how the market has developed here for quarterbacks over the past even three years. I mean, back in June 2016, so three years ago, Andrew Luck signed for just under $25 million per year. He was at 24.6. And then slowly but surely, that number has gone up every single year. Um, so let's say like two years later, you have Matt Ryan now at 30 million. So almost 5 million more than luck was getting at that time. And now April, 2019, the most recent one obviously was Russell Wilson, who's making $35 million a year. And prior to Russell Wilson signing that contract, there was talk that he could actually get like percentages of the cap instead of actual fixed rate numbers, which is unprecedented and I think would be very interesting. So uh, it almost feels like that's going to happen at some point. I don't know if it'll quite be with Wentz, uh, but I do think he's going to get a really big payday. And I think if you're Carson Wentz, you would want to wait because your value isn't necessarily at its highest coming off these injuries. Uh, But I think if you're the Eagles, you know, you're looking at this market and the price is only going up. I feel like if I'm the Eagles, I'm saying, we have to get a deal done with this guy. We have to give him a, a, a good amount of money to where he can't say no to it. Because if we wait and he has another kind of MVP-like season like he did in 2017, I mean, they could be paying him, I don't know, 40 over $40 million next year. So they have to get it done. And I think, you know, you're, you're looking at the Rams, the... I think if you know if if the the ter- if the determination is that Jared Goff is the guy, I mean you're really only hurting yourselves by waiting. I think because then you're just going to have to pay more. So I think uh, if you're in that spot where you feel like this is your guy, no matter what, then you just want to do everything you can to try to get him signed. I'm reasonably confident. They haven't said much about it, and there's some kind of word that they're waiting till the offseason next year. I don't buy that. I expect all of a sudden here some kind of time, date, in the middle of July to pop up in the news. Oh, Jared Goff extension. He hasn't been yeah. talk about that. Just out of nowhere. But I'll tell you one thing. The rising prices for quarterbacks, that's why the Cousins contract ticked me off so much. Because if you have <laughs> basically a mid-level quarterback who's never really done anything come playoff time, making the money, the guaranteed money he's getting, then what would you expect a Jared Goff to get or a Carson Wentz to get guys who have gotten their teams to playoffs and and show what they're capable of, man. That's I, I was so ticked off when that happened. Like, and you just totally blew up the quarterback market over a middling quarterback. Great job, Vikings. Golf club. Oh, great job for Kirk. Uh, personally, I mean, it was, it oh, was yeah, brilliant sure for him. by Kirk Cousins. Like he did a great job. He he said, okay, uh, no, I'm not going to sign your extension that I don't want to sign for. I'll just bet, bet on myself and I'll play in the tag and then I'll play in the tag again if it comes to that. Um, so that's kind of the dangerous thing here. Uh, and that's and that's a that's when and we're talking about that. That's all the more reason to not risk, you know, waiting for your quarterback to pay him. Because what if it gets to some weird situation like that where now, you know, he has all the leverage and he's playing on these tags, and then you either have to like give him a crazy amount of money or he's going to walk. So I think that's kind of the the cautionary tale if you're looking at these Eagles and Rams situations. There's definitely some parallel stories there. Now, with all the things going on with the Eagles, do you believe? that the Eagles will make a quick return to the Super Bowl? Uh, I think they are in a good position 
going into the 2019 season again. I feel like they've turned the page finally on that Super Bowl hangover, if you will. Uh, I think they have, they really arguably, I think, have one of the most talented rosters in the league. Um, again, they think about where they made it last year. They made it like reasonably close to the NFC Championship game. They were up on the Saints 14-0 in that game in New Orleans. And obviously things fell apart. Um, injuries were a big reason why they were like decimated in that game. They lost like half of their starting defense. They left their, they lost their um, Pro Bowl starting guard. They were obviously on their backup quarterback <laughs> to begin with, so it was not pretty. And despite that, you know they still came within one score of uh, you know going to the NFC Championship game. And again, I was I brought it up earlier, but they were the second most injured team in terms of adjusted games lost by Football Outsiders. So. You had all those injuries, and despite that, they, they, they still, still did pretty well. So I feel like you know a lot of that talent's going to be back. You're going to have, in theory at least, a healthy Carson Wentz coming back. I think Howard Roseman has done a good job of filling needs all over the roster. Like I don't look at this Eagles roster and see a, a position where there's a huge hole. I think there's spots where they could improve their depth for sure but i don't look at the starting spots and see like man they got to fix this and that's rare i think that's hard to do in a salary cap league so i feel like they're right in that mix with the nfc elites i would put them right up there um and i think they have a really good shot at making a run at this you talked about the talent in the roster and i totally agree that's that roster's loaded a lot of that was just some serious movement, both in terms of free agency and with the draft. You talked about a couple of picks. But sticking with free agency first, how do you rate overall their free agent decisions and what were their best and maybe not so best? I didn't want to say worst signings. Yeah, so I guess it, one of the most concerning moves I'll start off with is that, you know, they traded Michael Bennett. And we already, so they're, the way Jim Schwartz likes to use his defensive ends in Philly, is that he rotates them a lot heavily. Like, if in an ideal world, it's not just two starters at defensive end for Jim Schwartz. It's, like, four guys who would play about the same amount of snaps total. That's what they did in 2017 with uh, Brandon Graham and Chris Long and Vinnie Curry and um, Derek Barnett. And it worked out really well for them. And not only those guys, you know, um, just being able to produce at a high level, but also to, to stay fresh, you know, and, and that's just the advantage of that rotation. So I think when you trade away Michael Bennett, Bennett and um, you might, we don't know for sure if Chris Long, another former Ram there, uh, is going to be back with the Eagles this year because he's still apparently kind of pondering retirement. And based on what he said, uh, he feels like his role isn't necessarily going to be big enough to justify him playing. So I don't feel great about that. Uh, and losing that kind of another valuable pass rusher on this team. But one of the biggest things I do like for the Eagles this offseason is getting Deshaun Jackson back. Like, that was huge. Again, this offense last year, this Eagles offense, was just so painful to watch at times in the sense that it just they made it look hard to move the ball. And they would have some touchdown drives that would just have to go, like, 13, 14 plays. Like, it just... It did not come easy to them, and it just felt very archaic. In today's NFL, when you have teams like the Rams or the Chiefs, uh, these high-flying offenses making scoring look so easy, and we saw that with the Eagles in 2017. So it's not like um, it should be like this total impossible thing for them to achieve. So to, to get Deshaun Jackson back and to have that big playmaker, uh, I think that's going to do wonders for the offense as a whole. And, and you, when you look at how quarterbacks have done with Deshaun Jackson compared to how they've you know declined without him on their team, it's a drastic split. And Deshaun's 33, or I think he turns 33 this season, but he led the league in yards per reception last year, and he's the active all-time uh, player in, in um, yards per reception. So he still has that speed, very much so. And there's going to be weeks where he's not going to show up at all. That's kind of just Deshaun Jackson's game. But there's going to be weeks where he can break a game open. And I think that's a big, big factor for this team and really for Carson Wentz's development in particular because he's never had that deep threat. I mean, he's been working with guys like Torrey Smith and the Eagles signed Mike Wallace last year and he couldn't even, uh, he wasn't healthy enough to even play uh, ultimately. So he's never really had that deep threat. And I think having Deshaun on this team could really open up a lot of things for other guys on the offense. Now, what about your draft? How do you, how do you evaluate that? And again, what were your worst and your best picks? 
I think the best pick, and it's kind of chalk here, but just the first round pick was trading up for Andre Dillard, who a lot of people thought was the best uh, overall offensive tackle in the entire draft. And to get him, when you have Jason Peters now, who is 37 years old, and is likely playing his last year in the NFL, to be able to plug Andre Dillard in next year, seemingly, when Peters will be gone, like that's huge to have to go from Trey Thomas, who was an all pro offensive tackle for many years, uh, to Jason Peters, who's a future Hall of Famer, and to them potentially Andre Dillard, who can be this, you know, answer for you at left tackle for a long period of time is great. And even if uh, he might have to contribute sooner than expected, too, because Jason Peters, I think he, he made it, he played all 16 games last year, but there are a number of games where he had to leave early, and that's kind of been a common occurrence for him, and it makes sense. You know, he's, he's 37 years old, so there could be a situation where Dillard could be important as a fill-in player as soon as this year. So I like that pick a lot, even if it doesn't have the most impact this year. And uh, least favorite pick, I would say, would be uh, Clayton Thorson in the fifth round. You know, not the biggest deal, fifth-round pick, but I just feel like you look at his college numbers, and typically, you know, there's a study done on SB Nation by Bill Connolly. Guys who post, like, really bad numbers in college, regardless of situation, like, they just typically don't, you don't see dramatic improvement in the NFL. Um, Now, you know, he was in a situation there at Northwestern where the talent wasn't great around him, so I guess that's kind of the, the idea, the kind of the sell of him. But ultimately, you know, I think you're just betting on the exception there. So not the biggest deal in the world. And I get it because Nate Sudfeld is going to be a free agent after this year. Uh, and that's so you want to plan ahead for that and hopefully have this backup quarterback to Carson Wentz, which could be very important, you know, not having Nick Foles anymore and needing a backup guy if Carson Wentz does get hurt. But I just I, it's hard for me to look at his profile and just be in love with it. Yeah, I think someone's talked to the Giants about great college numbers and quarterbacks. <laughs> just came to mind. <laughs> yes. To, all right. So, last question for you: Where do you rank the Eagles right now in the NFC East? And on paper, how many wins do you see on their schedule? They're the number one team in the NFC East. It's really, I think, a two-team race between the Cowboys and the Eagles. You know, I I respect for the Cowboys in the sense that you know they beat the Eagles twice last year. Although that second loss was very suspect in some ways, that uh, the game just got started off to like a terrible. It didn't even feel like a fair fight because the Eagles literally recovered a fumble on the opening kickoff. And on replay, you could see that there were five guys. I'm not exaggerating. There was either four or five guys jumping on a loose ball. That was a clear fumble. And somehow it was ruled that the Eagles, there was no clear recovery. And it's just like insane. It's like this isn't, there's no room for debate here. There wasn't even a Cowboys player in the area of where this ball was recovered. And it's even in the NFL rulebook that, um, if it's if it can't be determined clearly who recovered the ball, but there's like four players on the ball of the same team, then it, it should be awarded to that team. Like this is so stupid that uh, we couldn't just we couldn't determine that this is the Eagles' ball. And to me, that was huge because that would have meant the Eagles getting the ball at like the the, um, the Cowboys' 18 yard line at the beginning of the game uh, after the Eagles had just kicked off. So anyway. Uh, I'm still bitter about that because that's just that's crazy to me. I can't believe that happened, and the league never commented on it either. They never like our bad. We got that one wrong anyway. Uh, so I think the Cowboys and the Eagles are the really the two teams competing for the NFC East. There, I think the Cowboys overachieved a little bit last year, and that when you look at their point differential, um, I don't think they were as good as their record showed. I don't think they were like 14th or so in DVOA. Like, I don't think they're this juggernaut of a team. I think they, they're overachieved a little bit. Um, they have some nice pieces with Amari Cooper there now, and Ezekiel Elliott is obviously really good. I think Dak Prescott has been able to obviously be successful with working with those pieces and kind of being a game manager, but I just think ultimately he kind of limits that team because he's not a guy who's going to put you over the top on his own. Um, so that's kind of why I'm ultimately not super afraid of them. And also because of Jason Garrett, you know, <laughs> Jason Garrett's a coach they don't even believe in. They're, they're not extending him. So I think the Eagles have an edge on them. And I think the best version of the Eagles ultimately is way better than the best version of this Cowboys team. So that's how I look at it. Uh, the Giants are a disaster and the Eagles are 18 and four against them in their last 22 games. And fun fact uh, Donovan McNabb and Eli Manning have the same amount of wins. It's four in the last two, uh, or last 22, I should say, Eagles-Giants games. So that kind of gives you some context to how much the Eagles have dominated the Giants over the past uh, whatever now. 
And uh, Washington kind of intrigues me a little bit in that I think their roster is okay, and maybe Haskins could be better than expected. But he could also really struggle out of the gate, assuming he even plays right away. So I just I think they'll kind of be. I think Washington's good enough to not be in that bottom five. They might even win eight games. Uh, they might kind of make things tough for the Eagles and the Cowboys in some of those games. But I think it's really a two-team race. And I think the Eagles are kind of looking at a double-digit win season here at least. Uh, I think they could. I think they're. I'll say eleven and five for them this year. All right, Brandon, can you let all the folks know where they can find you, your podcast, everything? You can read my work at BleedingGreenNation.com. You can listen to BleedingGreenNation.com's podcast that I'm on, BGN Radio. You can find that wherever podcasts are available. You can follow me on Twitter at Brandon Gowton, and I think that's about it. All right, dude, thanks so much for taking the time to come on. I really appreciate it, and I guess I won't talk to you again unless these two teams meet up in the playoffs. That would be very fun. I, look, I, I hope that happens. I would look forward uh, to that. I, I always love a good Eagles-Rams matchup, even though the last couple haven't gone my way. <laughs> I just got so. All right, dude, thanks so much for coming on. Absolutely. All right, so it is almost time for us to go, but I do want to ask this Mike before we head on out. He mentions the need, the, the wisdom in signing Jared Goff now to an extension advice waiting until he has another breakout season where he might be asking for 40 mil a season. What do you think about the Rams timing now in getting Jared Goff taken care of? Well, I I think for, for Jared and and the Rams organization, getting him done sooner than later is probably going to be a lot better to create stability uh, going forward. Uh, But this is what, uh, big less need and those guys get paid for they got to be able to look at the cap now cap moving forward you know where they because the danger is you can't really come in and lowball else that's going to be seen as negative so but i think if you get him done now you're probably going to get at least a little bit of a hometown discount as opposed to waiting to have another breakout year yeah, and, and don't forget that Carson Wentz with his contract, he got around right around $35 million. That's what we can expect Jared Goff to get. If we wait, you're talking maybe $40 million a year plus. So to me, the Rams, they generally do a good job with their contracts. They've made a couple mistakes here and there. They probably, I hate to say it, probably made a mistake by extending Todd Gurley, judging from what we've seen in the last year. But they felt like they had to. I'm not going to argue it. With Goff... This could be the difference of between five and maybe seven million dollars in your salary cap per year moving forward. So to me, it seems wise to go ahead and knock this out as soon as you can if you can get the deal done. Yeah, key word as you said, seems. So what seems wise in our site for whatever reason may not in their site, but absolutely, I think the sooner the better. You you have a little bit of the market already established. Uh, with with his uh, contract in Philly. So the idea to, you know, think that you're going to get less than that would be naive. So I would think that if you stepped up, you would be better off. But, yeah, I, I, I'm, I'm going to go back to the other point on Gurley. I, I think right now they're looking like, you know, but as you said, they, they, they were kind of stuck in doing it. There was kind of no way around it. It's a tough situation for them because they don't want to have another Le'Veon Bell situation. They don't want to have that kind of drama. And I'm not saying Todd would have been drama, but it was pretty clear that Todd was set that, listen, I am going to get paid. So I don't know what he would have done. I I don't know how he would have carried himself, but the Rams, I think, were wise to try and handle it. I think it was mature on their part, and it's kind of annoying that they're going to wind up probably paying the price for it, at least judging right now hopefully i'm wrong by the way yeah well it's you know one of those things when it comes down to contracts it's at this point in time in this day and age with so much information that's out and the numbers being the numbers it basically comes down to if a guy signs and you go well i'm as good or better than that guy so i should at least get the same now every team is going to say hey our salary structure is different but when guys now are really looking at longevity in the game and things like that, uh, sometimes a player is okay with taking a little less. Agents are always looking to 
make sure that everybody's taken care of, but they don't also want to be the agent that ends up lowballing the situation and messing up the salary structure for other players. So that's always a concern. All right, folks, so there you go. There's our show for this Sunday to Monday. We're a little bit off on our timing this week. Don't forget, though, we are still looking for sponsors for the 2019 season. So if you are interested in doing a little bit of work with us, reach out to us at ramstop1945 at gmail.com or leave us a voicemail at 657-666-5453. We have a media kit ready to get out to you. And don't forget to follow us on Twitter at TalkRams, on Facebook at facebook.com forward slash RamsTalk, and search for our group as well, the Rams Talk Room. You can find me on Twitter at DC Paul. You can find Michael Stewart at OneDuke23. Don't forget us on Apple Music, Stitcher, SoundCloud, iHeartRadio, all those outlets. And they, of course, our show is on iBeatRadio.com on Wednesdays and Sundays at 10 a.m. Pacific time. Wow, that's a wrap. So, for Mike and the entire Rams Talk staff, this is Derek C. Paul saying take it easy. We'll be back with you midweek for more good stuff as the Rams get ready for training camp. We are out of here. Out of here. control what's outside your home, but you can control what comes in. Because Clorox disinfecting wipes kill 99.9% of viruses and bacteria, including COVID-19 virus, when used as directed on hard, non-porous surfaces. So whether it's from dirty doorknobs, dirty shoes, or something else, outside germs won't stand a chance. When it counts, trust Clorox. Kill Pseudomonas, Salmonella, and Influenza virus type A2. Kill SARS-CoV-2 on hard, non-porous surfaces. Use as directed. You can't control what's outside your home, but you can control what comes in. Because Clorox disinfecting wipes kill 99.9% of viruses and bacteria, including COVID-19 virus, when used as directed on hard, non-porous surfaces. So whether it's from dirty doorknobs, dirty shoes, or something else, outside germs won't stand a chance. When it counts, trust Clorox. Kill Pseudomonas, Salmonella, and Influenza virus type A2. Kill SARS-CoV-2 on hard, non-porous surfaces. Use as directed. Whether you're a world-class athlete or a podcaster like me, we all understand the importance of mental and physical well-being and proper recovery for top-notch performance. That's why I'm excited that Unified Healing is sponsoring this podcast. Unified Healing is a new and super innovative global network of wellness centers powered by Energy Enhancement System, or EE System. If you haven't heard of the EE System, you'll want to listen up. This technology promotes wellness, deep relaxation, purification, and rejuvenation. At hundreds of locations across the globe, access to a center is easy and affordable. Interested in experiencing the EE system technology for yourself? Go to unifiedhealing.com slash bluewire to learn more and find a center near you. That's unifydhealing.com slash bluewire. No material or testimonials on the Unified Healing website are intended to be viewed as medical advice or a substitute for professional medical advice, diagnosis, or treatment. Always seek the advice of your physician or other qualified healthcare provider with any questions you may have regarding a medical condition or treatment and before undertaking a new healthcare regimen, including EE system.